You are listening to a recording from Mayo Baptist Church. We invite you to come, worship with us, where we strive to love God, love others, and serve the world.
Amen. Thank you, choir. Thank you, Brother Dale, for leading us in worship. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 6. Tonight we begin our conference, which we have entitled, The Authority of Scripture. The Authority of Scripture. And as you're turning there, let me pray. Father, we thank you for this evening that you have blessed us with. Father, we thank you for this conference. We thank you for the men who have have been chosen to come and to preach your word. Father, we thank you for the choir and their, their diligence, Father, in singing praises to you. And Father, we're just praying here tonight that you would hide me behind the cross. Allow me to speak the words that you would have us in here tonight. Father, our nation needs a revival. Our country needs a revival. This world needs a revival. And Father, we're praying that a revival would begin even in our hearts right now tonight. And Father, we ask in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Tonight, we come to Mark chapter 6. A storm has been brewing in the lives of these disciples. And they come face to face with a storm out at sea. A few nights or a few days ago, I had the privilege of meeting a 93-year-old woman at a service area waiting for my vehicle to be serviced. 93 years old. But she was not like a normal 93-year-old woman. This woman was full of life. In fact, as me and her began to talk, I come in and I sit down next to her. She begins to talk with me and share things about her life with me. And before I knew it, she's witnessing to me about Jesus. And I'm like, wow. She opens up her, her Bible. It was called the Guidepost Bible. And she opens it up and she begins to share with me some of the things about Jesus Christ. And it was just so interesting. It was, it was just so amazing. And I couldn't bring it to myself to tell her who I was or what I did. So I just let her go on. I let her continue to share with me all the way to the end until she asked me, do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? And I said, yes, ma'am, I do. And then we talked about what I did. But she began to tell me about her life and how her husband had passed away already, that both of her kids have already passed away, and that now she was left with two grandkids. One lives in Tampa, one lives up north, and she said that she was concerned about them. She said that her, kids, her grandkids were not like her kids. Her kids loved the Lord serve the Lord with all of their hearts. She said, but her grandkids, she was concerned, she said, they seem to love the world more than what they love Jesus. And I remember this statement that she said to me. I wrote it down and she said this. She said, our world, from a Christian's perspective, has changed from what she knew it to be. She said that it seemed like people today were less happy and more busy than what they ever have been. And she said this. She said, she believes It's because they have less Jesus in their lives. I believe that most of us would agree that our culture has changed. Where we live today is not like it used to be. The values, the structures, everything that has been a benchmark of what was right and what was wrong has all been blurred and nobody now even knows what is exactly right and what is wrong. I'm reminded of what the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Rome as he's writing to this church about unbelievers. I believe it kind of says something about us today. Romans chapter 3 verse 10, he says, As it is written, There is none who are righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is none who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. Their tongues keep deceiving. The poison of asps is upon their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are on their path. And the path of peace they have not known. 
there is no fear of God before their eyes. I believe as the Apostle Paul was writing to the church at Rome, it also encapsulates what we have become today as a culture. God, the creator of all things, has given us his word, the Holy Bible, written by men under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, written for us so that we could know how to live our lives in the best way possible. But many of us, if not most, do not live by the very words of our Bibles today. Biblical authority has been slowly fading away from our lives, our homes, our schools, our culture, even our laws of the land. Our nation as a whole has very little influence coming from the Bible today. And while this deterioration is taking place, we find ourselves in the midst of a stormy situation. Church, listen to me. We're not, as a church, heading for a storm. Listen, we today are in the midst of the storm. We are in the storm as a nation and as a people. Now, there is all kinds of different storms, aren't there? There's a hell storm, there's a wind storm, there's an electric storm, there's ice storms, there's man-made storms, there's war, unemployment, addictions, grief, anxieties, diseases, divorce, separation. There's all kinds of storms that we can experience in our lives. But one thing that all these storms have in common is they leave a path of destruction. And though the storms may be raging all around us, we can be encouraged by what the Word of God says for us tonight. Mark chapter 6. Begin reading with me here in verse 45. It says, Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him to the other side to Bethsaida, while he himself was sending the crowd away. After bidding them farewell, he left for the mountain to pray. And when it was evening, the boat was in the middle of the sea, and he was alone on the land. Seeing them straining at the oars, for the wind was against them at about the fourth watch of the night. He came to them walking on the sea, and he intended to pass them by. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they supposed that it was a ghost and cried out. For they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke with them and said to them, Take courage, it is I. Do not be afraid. Coming to this text, there are some life lessons that we must be aware of. When we find ourselves in the middle of the storms of this life. One of those things is that we must understand is that God oftentimes calls us into the midst of a storm. Notice the disciples here battling a dire situation. A windstorm has come upon them. It's the fourth watch of the night. It's about three o'clock early in the morning. And they've been battling the storm over and over and over. They're in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. And there is no sign that it was letting up. I want you to recognize who it is that calls them out into the storm. Mark chapter 6 verse 45. Jesus made his disciples get into the boat. And go ahead of him to the other side to Bethsaida. Jesus sent them out into the storm. And so the question could be for us is this. Did Jesus know that there was a storm Brewing on the Sea of Galilee. Remember, Jesus is God incarnate. He's the Son of God. He's God in the flesh. And as we read through the Bible, it's clear to us that Jesus still was omniscient. He was still all-knowing. He knew things about past, present, and future. 
whenever he met the woman at the well. He knew about her past. He knew of all the trouble that she had been involved in. She knew about everything that had plagued her entire life. He knew about the past. Jesus even told Peter, he said, you're going to deny me three times in the future. Jesus knew about the past, the present, and the future. How could Jesus know these things? Well, he's omniscient. Jesus is all-knowing. In fact, there's only one thing in Scripture that we are told that Jesus did not know. And that was the hour that he would return for his people. He said, only the Father knows the hour. And so since we know that Jesus is omniscient, we know that he's all-knowing, we can conclude with confidence that Jesus did in fact know that he was sending his disciples out into the storm. He sends them out. Now some storms we understand are of our own doing, aren't they? You drink too much, don't be surprised when your liver shuts down. Smoke too many packs of cigarettes, don't be surprised when you have cancer and diseases filling your lungs. Make bad choices every day of your life. Don't be surprised whenever later you're incarcerated and separated from those that you love. Those storms of life we know we bring about on ourselves. But then there are the storms that are product of other people's decisions. The storms of disobedient fathers ruining their families and their lives. Drunk drivers taking the lives of other people. Leaders making bad decisions that affect the people that are under them. But then there are the storms that are a result of living in a stormy world. Hurricanes, tropical storms, tornadoes, tsunamis. Or good people with no fault of their own contracting a disease or an illness and end up losing their lives. Accidents take lives earlier than expected. Listen, not only does it at times rain on the just and the unjust, but at times it also storms on the just as well. So we have storms that are a product of our own decisions. We have storms that are a product of others' decisions. And we have storms that are the product of the sinful world that we live in. And you know what? We're comfortable with that. We, we can kind of expect that. Yes, if I make bad decisions, bad things are going to happen. Yes, some people make bad decisions and it affects other people. It's not right, but it happens. Yes, I know that we live in a fallen world. I know there's bad things that's going to happen even to good people. And we're comfortable there. But listen to me. It seems that the storm that Jesus has called his disciples into here in Mark 6 is a whole other different kind of storm. It's a different kind of storm. You see, because God has sent the storm and God has sent them out into the storm. And listen, this can be a challenge for many of us. Knowing that our omnipotent, all-powerful God could have turned the storm in another direction. He could have made the path of disciples go in another direction. He could have done anything to cause some kind of different outcome than what took place. But he doesn't. He sends the storm. He sends the disciples. And they meet in the Sea of Galilee. For some people, they can't comprehend this. And you know what they do? They say, well, no, I see the injustices in the world. I see the problems going on. And I have a problem with this evil. I have a problem with this kind of knowledge. And therefore, I just reject God altogether. I don't want to believe that there's a God. Because if God is loving and God is caring, then how can he allow this to happen in my life? I just choose not to believe. And it's easier to believe that. There's a growing trend in our country that is moving in this direction. If God is loving 
then how does a loving God allow bad things to happen to good people? They have some sense of who God is, but they choose to not believe. This raises a question for us. Will we continue to trust and serve God when he sends us into the middle of the storm? Great men and women of faith all through God's word have been called into the storm. Job was called into the middle of the storm. The storm was raging against him. But he rose to the challenge and he said these very words, Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Consider David being afflicted and his soul was downcast. He turns and he says, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. The Apostle Paul rose to the challenge in the midst of his storm. He said, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in us. Paul, who was oftentimes led into the storm, had great faith and trusted in the one who led him there. I want you to notice that God calls these disciples into the storm. But he doesn't leave them alone. As the people of God, we should be willing to come to the rush and to the aid of people who are called into the storm. But listen to me, we can give help and we can encourage people all we can. But listen, we must also encourage them that Jesus does not leave them in the midst of the storm. At times, you're going to go through all these circumstances. You're going to experience the darkness that's so dense and a powerful storm that's so powerful that it's going to destroy or bring you to your knees. But listen. The one who calls you into the storm is also the one who is walking with you through it. And we trust that God is working out the good of those who love him. Those that are called according to his purpose. And not only does God call us into the storm of this life, but listen to me, where he calls you, he is there with you as well. And verse 48, he says, Seeing them straining at the oars, for the wind was against them, at about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea, and he intended to pass them by. Mark, as he's writing, this is revealing a few things about Jesus to us. First of all, he's saying Jesus is God. You say, well, how's he saying Jesus is God? Listen, Jesus is walking on water. Not anybody can do that. Jesus is God. Why? Because he even has power over nature, and he's walking across the sea to come to them. But then he also says... In verse 50, Jesus says, take courage, it is I. The language that Jesus uses here is the same language that Moses used at the burning bush whenever Moses was asking or being asked by God to go to the Pharaoh and tell him to let his people go. He said, who should I say sent me? And he says, you tell him that I am has sent you. In other words, the word I am is the phrase ego and me. And it means I am, deity, God, no one greater than me. And Jesus uses this right here. He says, take courage. I am with you. He's saying God is in your presence. God is with them. And listen, this is the same that is true with us today. God calls you into the storm, but also he walks with you. God is present with you in the midst of your storm, walking beside you. 
And at times the storm, when it's raging and howling all around you, you can feel lonely. You can say, well, I can't quite see God because of the darkness. I can't quite hear God because of the wind that's howling. But listen to me, it doesn't mean that he is not there. He is present in your situation. God calls us into the storm. He walks with us into the storm. But one other thing I want you to see tonight is this. Is that a lesson that we can learn from being called into the storm is that at times God will teach you things in the darkness that you otherwise could not learn in the light. God will teach you things in darkness that you cannot learn in light. Verse 51, he says, Then he got into the boat with them, and the wind stopped, and they were utterly astonished. For they had not gained any insight from the incident of the loaves, but their heart was hardened. What does that mean that they hadn't gained any insight from the incident of the loaves? I remind you that right before Jesus put them into the boat to send them out into the sea, he had just performed one of the greatest miracles. Two fish, a basket of loaves. He takes this food and he feeds 5,000 people. 5,000 people. And apparently the disciples had missed the reason for the miracle that Jesus had just performed. I remind you, Jesus never just performs a miracle with the miracle itself being the end goal. There's always a meaning to why Jesus performs miracles. And Jesus, through this miracle of multiplying the bread, was revealing to them more than that what he could feed the people, but that he was the bread of life sent to save and to seek those who are lost. John 6, 35 says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. Jesus was saying to them and to us that he is God and that he has come to seek and to save them. Yes, Jesus can take those storms of your life and turn them around. Yes, I believe that Jesus still performs miracles in lives of people today. I've heard many instances where people go to the doctor and they have scans done and it comes back with a negative report. And they say, well, you need to go for further scans. And they go for the further scans to only find out that there was nothing there to begin with. The doctors want to blame it on the faulty equipment or they want to blame it on something that they don't understand. But listen to me, God still performs miracles in the lives of his people today. But the miracle itself is not the end goal. It's a means to something greater. Because through the miracles, Jesus is revealing who he is. And to these disciples who were seeing Jesus feed multitudes of people with a little bit of food, the disciples are thinking, well, this will be quite nice. In a time period whenever people had to worry about what they was going to eat, how they was going to find their next meal, they were thinking, if I hold tight to Jesus, then I'll have food every day of my life. But that's not why Jesus performed the miracle, is it? Jesus performed the miracle because he was not only sharing with them that he could sustain their needs in the here and now, but for all of eternity. He was the bread of life. He was the bread of life. And sometimes Jesus has to call us into a storm to get us to see what exactly he's doing in our lives. And these storms that God allows us to experience are there to reveal Him and for us to experience Him. 
And listen, if it takes a storm to open our eyes and for people who are lost to see the truth about who Jesus Christ is, then I say bring on the storms. If it takes a storm to open your heart to the needs that you have, that Jesus Christ is more important than any material thing of this world, then I say bring on the storms. If it takes a storm to get our nation's attention and for us to turn our eyes back to Jesus and to see Him as the true author and the authority of our entire lives, then I say bring on the storms. Mark here reveals that Jesus sends His disciples right smack into the middle of the storm to get their attention. And Listen to me, people. I don't think it's a coincidence that we as a nation are in the middle of a storm. God may be allowing us in the storm right now to get our attention. For us to turn our hearts and our minds and our lives back to Him. C.S. Lewis says that God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience. But He shouts to us in our pain. And it is His megaphone to arouse a deaf and dying world. Listen to me, church. Suffering does not make you Christian, but it can make you more Christ-like. And James encapsulates this in his letter. He says, consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance and let the endurance have its perfect result so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Listen to me, church. There is a purpose for every storm. And it's no surprise that many people today are in the middle of storms and being called out to experience God. Many families are experiencing storms. Many marriages are experiencing storms. Many churches are experiencing storms. Many corporations, our culture, our nation are experiencing storms. And the one who calls us out into the storm is also the one that goes with us. And has a purpose for us as well. As a small child, I spent many weekends with my cousin Tommy. Me and him just spent the whole weekend together. Just every other weekend. During the summer, we was together all the time. We rode dirt bikes. We fished. We hunted. We did all kinds of things. We got into a lot of mischief. We did a lot of stupid stuff too. We was just boys just having fun doing a lot of stuff. But you know, one of the things that I remember the most about me and him spending time together was that we would always compete about who could skip a rock the farthest. We would always compete with that. We would get on the gravel road and we'd begin down the gravel road and there'd be all kinds of rocks on this road. We're heading down to the creek bed and we're looking for that perfect rock because we were in a serious competition. And you know what? Along this gravel road, there was all kinds of rocks. But you know what? None of them was ever useful. The round, chipped up, just gravel, wasn't useful. Couldn't skip that, could you? But you know where the rocks that we could skip was? Down in the creek beds. When you got down to the creek beds, you found those rocks that have been through many storms. You found those rocks that had had the edges chipped off, who had been smashed down who had been smoothed out. 
You found those rocks that were just so flat and so smooth and so perfect. And whenever you go to skip those rocks, you could skip them a numerous amount of times and skip them as far and as high as you could even possibly want to. Those were the good rocks. Those were the ones that we were searching for. And the truth is, church, when it comes to storms, sometimes those storms are meant to produce us into something usable in the hands of God. Because a lot of times we're not even usable in His hands until we go through the storms. God has a good end in mind. And it may be that we need some rough edges smoothed out. We we may need to be smashed down. If that's the case, then guess what? I say bring on the storms. God has a good end in mind for those that are His. And He may even have a good end and go for those who are not His. It may just be that the storm that you're experiencing right now could be to get your attention and nudge you to turn your heart and your life completely over to Him. Maybe you're kind of on the fence. Maybe you're seeing the Christianity life and you're, you're thinking, oh, well, that seems so pleasant and so peaceful and so nice. But yet you're looking at the world and you're saying, you know what, I really don't want to give up this. I don't want to give up that. And so you're kind of riding between the two, not really committed to either. Maybe the storm is meant to get you to make a decision. Maybe you're experiencing a storm today and God is getting your attention and that the Word of God is His authority in our lives. And that we need to be living out what He says. Tonight, I as well want to encourage you. Don't just see the storm as an inconvenience, but see the storm as an invitation to experience God in a greater and deeper way than what you ever could have otherwise. You see, God sometimes allows us to go through the storm so that we come to know Him. Tonight, do you need to come and know Him?